You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. Valentine's Day is coming right up next week. And as a special treat for my listeners, I'm going to answer a question I usually don't. It's a question I usually duck. You've probably heard me avoid this question on this podcast. How to spice things up. Not whether to spice things up. And yes, you should. Good advice. Keep things spicy. But exactly what you should do to spice things up. People are always asking me that. Asking me for ideas, assignments, specific things they can do to spice things up with their long-term partner. And yeah, like I said, I usually duck that question. But this Valentine's Day, you're going to get some advice. Advice out of me other than my usual go-to Valentine's Day advice, which is, of course, fuck first. Yeah, fuck first. Fuck first, definitely. Always fuck first. That advice, still operative. Fuck first forever. On Valentine's Day and all other holy days of romantic and or sexual obligation, birthdays, weddings, anniversaries, again, Valentine's Day, fuck first. Don't go out to dinner and then wonder why you didn't get fucked later. Get fucked, then go out to dinner. Okay, with that out of the way, here's what I wanted to share. Again, an actual answer to an actual question I get asked all the time and never answer, which is what can you do to spice things up, to keep it interesting, to keep it sexy in that long-term relationship you're in? Now, what I'm about to share with you These aren't ideas I've pulled out of thin air. These are actual things actual friends of mine have done. Well, actual friends in two cases, somebody I know of in another case, but things people have actually done that kept it spicy, shared here with their consent. Okay, tell your boyfriend to meet you at the corner of whatever and whatever. Doesn't matter. Just has to be a dark corner. But instead of meeting him there yourself, Three guys show up with a van and grab your boyfriend and throw him in the back. And then your boyfriend spends the weekend handcuffed to a pipe in a dark basement, listening to his kidnappers negotiate his ransom with you, his boyfriend. And when you demand proof of life, instead of sending you a photo of your boyfriend holding up today's newspaper, because who gets today's newspaper anymore? This is a really old-timey kidnapper thing to do. Anyway, they send you a video of your boyfriend sucking their dicks instead. That would spice things up, for sure. Or you take your girlfriend to a nice hotel for the night, you check in, you go to the spa, you get a nice couple's massage, then you go to the lobby bar and have a drink, not dinner, just a drink, remember we're going to fuck first, and then when you get back up to your hotel room, you open the door for your girlfriend like a gentleman and you let her walk in, and there are rose petals all over the bedspread and a million little tea candles, no, 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 not that. There are four guys waiting in your room already naked and your girlfriend gets gangbanged all night. Or, tossing this one out there for the romantics and the monogamous, recognizing that romance is subjective and one person's flowers and candy is another person's handcuffed to a pipe in a basement somewhere. Anyway, this one's a little more romantic and a whole lot more monogamous. Tell your boyfriend that he's your plus one for a wedding. Fake an invitation, fake a website even. But when you show up, It's his wedding and yours. You're the bride. He's the groom. Both your families are there. All your friends. That would keep things spicy. All right. 
Obviously, the thing about all three of these suggestions, these three things that people, in two cases, that people actually know did for their partners to keep shit spicy, none of these things were surprises or, or not complete surprises. Take the guy who got kidnapped, who no, is not me. That was his ultimate fantasy. He shared it with his boyfriend and his boyfriend surprised him with the when, but not with the what. The woman who got gangbanged in her hotel room, ultimate fantasy, she talked about it with her partner, also, not the first time she'd had group sex with her partner. So she knew she was into it, but it was the first time she was the only woman in the room. And the guy, surprised with the wedding, wanted to get married. He'd proposed, but he didn't want to have anything to do with the planning. So here's the thing. You can spice things up, but you got to make sure that whatever spice you're talking about is a spice your partner would enjoy. You don't surprise someone who hasn't been fantasizing all his life about being kidnapped with a kidnapping. You don't surprise someone who doesn't fantasize about getting gangbanged with a gangbang. And you certainly don't surprise someone with a wedding. This is the reason I always balk when it comes to this question. People want me to tell them what to do, exactly what to do, to write a script for them that they can use with their partner to spice things up. But what you have to do first is figure out what your partner likes and what they want, and then you surprise them with that. Think of all the horrible flash mob proposals we've had to watch since YouTube was launched, on Valentine's Day, actually, in 2005. In most cases, the time and the place and the scale of the proposal, that's a surprise. But being proposed to? Yeah, that was something the person being proposed to wanted and had indicated that they wanted. Same thing goes for sex, for spicing things up. Figure out what your partner wants, not what they might enjoy, but what they definitely would enjoy. And to keep it spicy, surprise them with that. All right, speaking of Valentine's Day, you know what makes a great gift? A fuck first mug, which you can order at savage.love. We can't guarantee it'll arrive in time, so maybe order one of those mugs now and surprise your sweetheart with it on one of March's many unsung holidays. March 1st, all by itself. National Pancake Day, World Compliment Day, looking good world. Mardi Gras, National Peanut Butter Lover's Day, National Pig Day, San Francisco, and Justin Bieber's birthday. Whatever you got your partner for Justin Bieber's birthday last year, I promise you a fuck first mug is better. Or if you want a gift that'll arrive right on time, get your lover or your spouse or your pro-dom or the person handcuffed to a pipe in your basement, a Magnum subscription to the Savage Lovecast. Just go to savage.love, click on Lovecast, click on gift. All right, coming up on today's show on the micro edition of the Savage Lovecast, tons of your cues, lots of my A's, and joining us on the Magnum Savage Lovecast that you can subscribe to at savage.love. Love, twice as much show, more calls, more questions, more answers, more guests, and no ads for Magnum subs. Intersectional sexual health educator Justine Ang Fonti joins me on the Magnum to talk about Valentine's Day breakups and her amazing Instagram account where she serves as a ghostwriter for people who are having a hard time saying goodbye. That Instagram account, it is called Goodbyes, B-Y-E-S, and Justine Ang Fonte tells me all about it on the Magnum. Hi, Dan. I am a 30-year-old gay male in San Francisco, I'm currently in a about three-year long-term relationship. I'm calling because I had a conversation with a friend over the phone, and my partner overheard parts of it, and I don't think 
he was very happy to hear uh, some of the things I had to say. So the context is a lot of people in my family are divorced. All of my mom's siblings are divorced. She's even divorced. And I just haven't seen a lot of relationships aside from my grandparents go the long, long mile, so to speak. And so one of my friends was asking me, like, hey, would you ever think about getting married? And then I had said, like, you know, I'll consider marriage if I can afford a divorce. And, you know, tongue-in-cheek aside, I, I, that's kind of how I feel. I mean, I've, I've unfortunately seen a lot of relationships fail, and I've seen how expensive divorces can be. And I grew up kind of, you know, in a single-parent household that was constantly under that financial stress of paying legal fees and debt down from, from a divorce. You know, my partner overheard some of that and said that he felt, you know, a little disappointed or a little bit concerned. And, you know, I love him, but marriage as an arrangement, as a construct, is kind of like, don't really know how I feel about it. And I'm only 30, so I don't necessarily feel like any future commitments in the next few years, they're going to be forever. I guess I would just want to be prepared. And right now I look at my bank account and it's like, I couldn't afford an attorney. Am I kind of the asshole here? Is, are they potentially re- overreacting? Like, how can I approach this better? Curious to hear your thoughts. Seems to me that you're both going to have to reach each other partway here. Your boyfriend, your partner of three years that you love very much, should be sensitive to your family's history of divorce, to the instability and chaos uh, that you grew up around if those divorces were agents of chaos, and they often are. And he should be sensitive to that. He should understand that your comments about marriage and divorce exist in a context for you that's not about him and not about your relationship and not about how you feel about him. You need to understand You need to reach him partway and say that you understand why that might be painful to hear that you're not interested in getting married unless you can afford a divorce. It doesn't mean you want to get a divorce. It just means that if you marry, you don't want to find yourself in the position that so many people do of being unable to leave your spouse because you can't afford to. It is frequently noted that during recessions, during the Great Recession, divorce rates plummet. And during economic recoveries, divorce rates go back up. You can infer from those facts, from those data, there I use data as a plural correctly for once, you can infer from those data that a lot of people stay in marriages not because they want to stay in those marriages, but because they can't afford to exit them. Tell your partner that You wouldn't want him to stay married to you for one day longer than he wanted to be married to you. You wouldn't want him to stay married to you because he didn't feel free to go. And you don't want to be married to him unless that's what you want. You don't want to wind up in a marriage where you feel trapped and not free to go. And and the irony of, you know, when someone feels trapped in a marriage that makes them unhappy and they don't feel like they can afford a divorce – that almost automatically then becomes a high-conflict, high-stress relationship, and it becomes a kind of a living nightmare. When people want out, the other person knows it. When someone wants out, or they both want out, and they just can't afford out, there's not a lot of joy there. So at the moment you decide, if you were to ever get married, that you wanted to end the relationship, 
your boyfriend or then husband, as painful as divorce might be at that stage for him, even if he didn't want it, would want you to end it. He wouldn't want you to stick around and for the relationship to become high stress, high conflict, high drama, and a, a nightmare, a living nightmare. We've all seen people trapped in marriages they want out of. It's never pretty. That's what you meant by you're not getting married unless you can afford to get a divorce. It didn't mean that you're looking down the road and thinking, yeah, maybe I would marry this asshole for 10 years, but no longer. So I'm inevitably going to divorce this asshole. This isn't about the inevitability of divorce. This is about, given your history, given your family's history with divorce and high-conflict relationships, you being comfortable enough, you feeling safe entering a marriage. And the only way you're going to feel safe entering a marriage is if you have the resources, if you want out, to end that marriage. All that said, there are people who go through stages in their marriages where they want out and some outside force keeps them together. The kids often cited, but the expense of a divorce, the drama of a divorce, the emotional cost of a divorce, even if somebody can afford it financially, often people hesitate for other reasons that aren't about finances. And then they get to the other side of the conflict. A couple of years pass and the marriage revives. And that person, often both people, are happy to still be in a marriage that maybe at some point they wish to exit. So I would just urge you in your discussions with your partner about your feelings, about what he overheard, about his reaction, about your family history, to address that. That there may come a time where one or the other, or the both of you want out, that you will commit to work through it. Even if you have tens of millions of dollars in the bank, you're not going to pull the plug and run at the first sign of the kind of conflict that many people in many marriages manage to work through, get to the other side of, and then be grateful that they're still in that marriage. Maybe the marriage has changed. The terms have been renegotiated. Often the renegotiation of terms of a marriage is a high conflict, high stakes tap dance through a minefield. But people do it and people get through it. People get to the other side of it. There are lots of examples out there of people who could afford to divorce and didn't and are glad they didn't. You could wind up being one of those guys, one of those couples. Hi, Dan. I've been in a really great and healthy relationship that's been ethically non-monogamous since the start for about three or four years. And recently, I have come into a little bit of confusion. I have been meeting up with a, another partner, and the way that our relationship works is just we're open, we're not romantic. But with this new partner, I have begun to feel what I believe to be romantic feelings. However, at the same time, I am not feeling my romantic feelings towards my boyfriend diminish at all. So my question is, when do you move from consensual ethical non-monogamy into polyamory? How do I broach that conversation with my partner? Is that something that I should tell him I'm thinking about now? Should I consult the other person and tell him how I'm feeling before I break it to my partner? I'm just really confused and also don't know if I should even bring it up at all and just kind of keep it to myself and see if the crush or the feelings that I'm having for this guy pass. If no fucking other people that you have romantic feelings for begin to develop romantic feelings for is a condition of this open relationship, if that's what you agreed to, to obtain your boyfriend's consent to opening the relationship up to sex with others and what your boyfriend agreed to, 
than you continuing to fuck this person after you realize you're starting to develop romantic feelings for them violates the spirit, if not the letter, of the commitment you made, of the terms of your open relationship. When do open relationships tip over into poly? Right about now. This is usually how it happens. There are lots of people out there in happy poly open relationships where initially it was a DADT thing, where initially it was, you know, no seconds. Can't fuck anybody twice, or you can't fuck anybody you have feelings for. Only FWBs, friends with benefits, as the straight people call them, fuck buddies, as the gays call them. Seems to me that's a problem in the long run. If you have a regular fuck buddy, eventually it's as much buddy as fucking, and buddies have feelings for each other. Perhaps not romantic feelings, but some sort of feelings. Friends with benefits, as the straight people call them. Friends have feelings for each other. Friend is a kind of intimate often loving relationship. I have friends that I say I love you too, that I definitely have feelings for, not romantic feelings, but I've caught feelings for them as friends. <sighs> but this is when it happens, often. This is the rough and bumpy re-renegotiation. You renegotiated the relationship to open it, and now you're going to re-renegotiate the relationship to see if it can't stretch to accommodate this new development which is you have caught feelings without any intention to for this other person, for the, your other regular sex partner, and you're at a fork in the road. What does that mean? Can you continue to fuck this person? Can you continue to see this person that you now have romantic feelings for? Or will your boyfriend require you to end this relationship? And if he does, all right, you got to pick. Is ending this relationship a price of admission you're willing to pay to continue to be with your boyfriend in the open relationship that you're in? An open relationship that he may want to close back down for a little while. You know, you didn't go out there intending to catch feelings for someone else, but you did. And your boyfriend might not feel comfortable or safe if the relationship stays open, considering the complication that just happened. The complication of you catching feelings for someone else, which again, I would say to your boyfriend, I don't think is something that you did maliciously. You weren't suddenly a feeling-seeking missile. I didn't go out there looking for this, just as catching feelings sometimes. No, it's just gonna happen. The question you face is what now? What are you gonna do with those feelings? What are you gonna do about those feelings? You could wait them out, you could see if the feelings continue to grow, if they're reciprocated, and if they don't, and if they're not, well, then crisis averted. If you typically don't catch feelings for other sex partners, if this isn't something that regularly happens, then it's not necessarily something you need to burden your boyfriend with disclosing. If this fizzles out, runs its course in a few weeks or a couple of months. But if it doesn't, those feelings continue to grow. If they become undeniable, if you want to reconcile these relationships, you want to love your other partner openly and publicly, then you're going to have to have a difficult conversation with your boyfriend. A conversation that could wind up blowing up the relationship you're in now, freeing you to pursue a relationship with this other person that you've caught feelings for. Or best case scenario, your relationship can 
make another big transition. It transitioned from monogamous to open, and perhaps yours like mine could transition from open to poly. But that's a conversation, and it's a conversation you're not going to be able to avoid having. And even if it runs its course with this other guy, and he exits your life and exits your bed, and your feelings for him fall away, it may be a conversation you want to have with your boyfriend then, when there isn't somebody else. And admit to him that for a little bit you caught feelings for somebody else. He had a crush on somebody else. I don't think that that's something that a person in an open relationship shouldn't be able to hear and handle and roll with. People in monogamous relationships should be able to hear, be told by their committed monogamous partner that they have kind of a crush on someone at work. We all sometimes develop crushes on other people. It's whether we act on those crushes or how we act on them if we're in an open relationship that doesn't allow for feelings for others. That is the issue. Hey, Mr. Savage. I'm dating this girl briefly, and we go and buy a strap on so that I can fuck her with it. I promise it's relevant. And then, but I'm the one that paid for it. And then we end up breaking up before I can use the, the strap on. So my question is, can I ever use that strap on with a different girl or do I have to throw it away and eat the $80 or whatever it costs me? Second part, if I, if I have to get rid of it or if I, I can't ever use it again, do I have to throw the whole thing away or can I like keep the harness and get rid of the dick or I don't know? And if I have to get a, a different one for every girl, like how should that work in like a hookup scenario? Uh, mainly like should I have to pay every time? It is customary at the end of a lesbian relationship to build a funeral pyre on which you burn all sex toys acquired during the relationship, including sex toys that were acquired but never used, sex toys that are still in the box. They came in and never made it into the box they were intended for. Uh, no, no, you do not have to throw an unused strap-on dildo away or the harness before you get your next girlfriend, if you're going to get another girlfriend, you can use that sex toy. Even if you'd used it on your past girlfriend, you could use that sex toy on your subsequent girlfriends. If only to keep the sex toys out of the landfill. You don't have to replace all of your sex toys each time you get a new sex partner. Could you imagine? I own, I'm not ashamed to say, a butt plug that I've had that's been kicking around bedside table drawers and boxes of gear at the house for 25 years, longer actually, from before I met Terry. That butt plug has been in a lot of guys. It gets cleaned and sterilized between uses, but it doesn't get thrown away or burned on a funeral pyre. So the answer to this question is don't be fucking ridiculous and don't clog landfills with sex toys that are brand fucking new. And even if they weren't brand fucking new, you can reuse them on new sex partners. All that said, a new sex partner might object to you using a sex toy on them that you've used on other people. When that happens, I would recommend getting rid of that new sex partner instead of getting rid of the trusted sex toy that you have a long-term relationship with. But if you want to stick with that new sex partner, you can then put away, don't throw away, put away your used sex toys, sex toys you've used with previous partners until 
yeah, you might need them. You might need them again in the future or be able to use them again in the future on your next girlfriend who hopefully won't have this same hang up. Hi, I'm just calling to kind of get some input. What happened was I was dating this guy for three months. It was mine and his first like really serious relationship. Uh, he was really interested in a monogamous relationship, even though I offered for him to be intimate with other people because I knew that he wasn't super experienced with having sex with guys. But he took that as me not wanting a monogamous relationship. So it kind of further secured the thought that he really wanted to be with me. But basically, fast forward like three months, and he said that he didn't want to be in a relationship. He still wanted to be friends. He was asking me, can we please still text like we used to, like we text every day, all day, pretty much. And he's like, I still want you to be in my life, like you're a great person, blah, 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 blah. And then... Like, about a couple weeks later, I mean, he was still saying the same things. Like, I miss you. It feels like we're still dating. I can't just forget. And saying all these things. Like, he clearly still had feelings. Um, and then we talked on the phone in about a month after we broke up. Because I was just like, so you're on Grinder looking for people, but you still want to text me. So why do you want that, like connection but then you also want that sexual connection like why couldn't that just be me and he keeps saying like it's not you it's nothing you did but clearly I mean it feels like it was something I did and he was like very emotionally distant like it seemed like he was just going through something really bad because he was like I haven't thought about you and basically the same thing that he just wanted, I don't know, he wanted to be friends. But then I would ask him to hang out or talk on the phone while we were playing video games. And he would just try to avoid me and say, I'm going to be busy. He said, I'm going to be busy these months because of work. And I was like, okay, you clearly just like don't want to be around me. I don't know what I did. I was still going through it. I still like three months after we broke up, I was still crying about it. Um, I still think about him, but he basically said that he didn't want to be friends when I asked him. I was like, do you not want to be friends? Because it doesn't feel like you do. And he said, I just want to be alone right now. And I said, okay. And then I was like, is it something that I did? Because it feels like that. He answered my question with a question saying, I thought you had to take time to forget about me. And I was like, I'm kind of over you in the relationship aspect. It just feels really sucky that someone who really asked me to be their friend doesn't feel like they want to be my friend so clearly it feels like i did something um and then he just repeated that he just wants to be alone and now he's just looking for friends with benefits on grinder and stuff people have told me but i'm just really confused and i i just don't know what to do or how i or if i should even reach out at this point are you over him it doesn't sound like you're over him it also doesn't sound like your friends are doing for you what friends should be doing for you at a moment like this, when you're in a place like this, which is not running to you and letting you know when your ex is on Grinder looking for dick, but just kind of keeping their mouths shut, changing the subject, diverting you, distracting you from the heartache you're still experiencing. Look, it's possible that you didn't do anything. Maybe it's nothing you did. All we know for sure is that this guy doesn't want to be with you the way you wanted him to want to be with you, the way you wanted to be with him. So no relationship is possible here 
for reasons, for reasons that you don't understand and for reasons that you may never understand. And you're just going to have to accept that. He didn't want to be your boyfriend and he only wants your friendship in a kind of weird, limited way, mediated through technology. He wants to be able to, to text you and expect, I guess, you to do some of the emotional labor that a boyfriend might do without him having to provide you with anything. He won't even get on the phone with you. So, yeah, you're always going to be frustrated. Whatever contact you have with this person, it's just going to remind you of your rejection and you're going to be thrown into this place where you obsess about the mystery of, of why this couldn't be, why this relationship couldn't be. And yeah, you just have to accept that it's not going to be. Not because of anything you did or did wrong. And if he would only tell you what you did or did wrong, then you would be able to do things differently and maybe he'll be your boyfriend then. Or you could do things differently in your next relationship and not make the mistake, whatever it might be that you made that drove him away. No, it's not about that. It's not really about you. It's just about the you, you singular. It's about the two of you. It didn't work out. And it sounds like he's the problem. You're attracted to him sexually. You're emotionally available to him in a way that he's not sexually attracted to you possibly or emotionally attracted to you. And so, ah, it's just not going to happen. It's not going to be. You should get the fuck on Grinder. You should block him on Grinder if you see him and you should tell your friends you don't want to hear about him, that it's not good for you to hear about what he's up to or the dick he's looking for now. And then put it behind you. Accept that you'll never know why this relationship couldn't be. Just accept that this relationship isn't going to be and move on with your life. Hi, Dan. Late 20s to skinny mail here, calling from the Southwest with a somewhat complicated question. I've heard you talk several times on the show about how to incorporate a very special guest star into the bedroom as a couple, but I'm wondering if you have any advice or suggestions for folks who would like to be a very special guest star. I ask because I'm currently single and would like to eventually have a long-term committed relationship with a partner, but I may be moving to a new city in the next few months, and I'm not feeling very motivated to pursue a long-term relationship at the moment. I've also never been especially interested in casual sex through Grinder and the like, but I find the idea of having sex as a third within a committed relationship and potentially augmenting partners' feelings for each other quite exciting. For full disclosure, I should mention that I've had quite a few bad relationship experiences since I came out in my early 20s, including getting ghosted after three months of dating, getting dumped for an ex, and trying to support a suicidal partner. I'd also be lying if I said the question wasn't prompted in part by an interest in being a very special guest star for a gay couple I know through work. But though acting on this desire with that particular couple could obviously be risky, I think I'm still interested in trying this out in general. Dan, is it a terrible idea to act on this desire given the context I've shared? If not, how can I go about fulfilling this fantasy in a manner that is likely to be relatively safe and successful? So first, that gay couple at work, that couple you've fantasized, clearly fantasized about being the very special guest star for, have they expressed any interest in you or are you just observing this gay couple and inserting yourself into their sexual dynamic? And there's nothing wrong with that, but is there an offer on the table? Because it seems to me if you want to be some couple's very special guest star and this couple you know through work has expressed an interest in you that way might be a good choice. I know, I know everybody says you shouldn't sleep with people at work. You shouldn't shit where you eat. That could go south. But you say you're moving away soon. 
So how much longer are you going to work with this couple? And I, for one, don't think all workplace romances are verboten or forbidden or always bad ideas so long as no power imbalance is being exploited and so long as everybody feels good about it and makes pact going in that if the sexual component of the relationship should end, they will be civil and polite to each other and try to salvage the friendship. Doesn't mean that that'll happen, but it's likelier to happen if and when the sexual part ends. But that's my advice if, you know, you want to fuck somebody from work and you might be working with them for another five years or 10 years. You want to fuck a couple from work and you're not going to be working there much longer. So my advice to you would be a little bit different. It would be a little bit, a whole lot actually, a whole lot closer to go for it. All right, how do you make this work? If not their very special guest star, how do you make it work being some couple's very special guest star? How do you fulfill this fantasy in a way that's safe and successful? Well, the same way that someone who's just looking for vanilla sex fulfills that off-the-shelf fantasy safely and successfully, the same way someone looking for you know, getting tied up or whatever crazy sexual adventure they want fulfills that safely and successfully. You carefully vet the people that you're going to have sex with. You interact with them via whatever app or platform that you're meeting people through. You ask them questions. You see if you feel comfortable talking with them. You put your needs out there. You ask them about their needs. You talk about safety. And if you have a good feel for them, they seem like a good choice as, you know, an individual person who wants that you want to meet up with for vanilla sex or crazy kinky sex or a couple you want to meet up with to get spit roasted. If you have a good feel about them, you meet up, you have coffee, you see where it goes. Now, when it comes to three ways, you say you want to be there to augment their feelings for each other, those two partners, their sexual connection. You want to augment it. You want to enhance it, strengthen it. That assumes you're going to go find a couple that's having three ways for the right reason, specifically to augment their sexual connection, to enhance their sex life. Hopefully not in a selfish way, not in a way that treats, you know, that's why I call them very special guest stars and not cum dumps or bonus holes in a way that treats their very special guest star as someone very special who has feelings and needs and desires of their own that should be taken into account. So, Assuming you find a couple that's having three ways for the right reasons, not because their relationship is collapsing or their sex life is collapsing and and one person wants to have three ways because he's not attracted to the other and the other person is going along and resents the person that their partner is recruiting to come over and have three ways with. So long as it's not like that, so long as you have a good feeling about that couple, so long as they're having three ways for the right reason, You can do this safely and successfully. Same standards apply. If you're just having a two-way, you want to be with someone who doesn't see you solely as an object. You want to be with someone who's having two ways for the right reasons or having crazy kinky sex for the right reasons. So do your, as I like to call it, do your screw diligence, vet the guys carefully, meet them if you have a good feel about them and they make you feel safe and secure. Uh, Go for it. Baby steps on your way in. Make sure they're clear about what's on the menu, what's not on the menu. No attempting in a three-way to renegotiate what's on the menu during the three-way. Be respectful of them as a couple. Don't try to 
come between them figuratively, literally, you can come between them, uh, and make sure that they're being respectful of you as an individual, and they're treating you as a very special guest star. And then if you have a good feel about them and they have a good feel about you, you go for it. And then if it starts to feel awkward or uncomfortable, you do what you would do in a two-way situation if it's feeling awkward or uncomfortable. Hit the pause button. That doesn't do the trick. If things don't start to feel better, well, then you hit the eject button, pull your pants on, and leave. Hey, Dan, and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth. This is a 39-year-old woman from the Bay Area who is currently traveling in Central America. I have a quandary that's not about sex, but it could be considered related to disclosing STI and sexual health status and history. I made friends with this really wonderful family who invited me over to spend time with them. I spent like 14 hours hanging out with them, playing music with them, swimming in the ocean with them. We just had a really wonderful day. As the dad is riding bikes to accompany me back to the place that I was staying, he disclosed to me that he and his family are not vaccinated. After I had just spent 14 hours around him, his wife, and his three kids, much of it indoors, in close quarters. I definitely understand that he's doing what he thinks is right for himself. And I don't feel that he provided me with the necessary information to do what I think is right for myself. Do you think I should say something to him or just let it lie? First, I want to be clear about who was really at risk there that day that you hung out with this family. If you're vaccinated, you're a bigger threat to them than they are to you. If they gave you COVID and that would suck, you might get sick. You also might not get sick. You might not have symptoms, but you would most likely be fine. If you had an unsymptomatic case of COVID and then you went and hung out with them all day and you gave them COVID, they could all die. Unvaccinated people, 20 times more likely to die. Vaccinated people without some other underlying health condition, the kind of, you know, healthy vaccinated person who might be traveling through Central America right now, swimming in the ocean, biking everywhere she needs to go. If you were exposed to COVID by these unvaccinated people, these, I guess, gracious, kind, welcoming, but thoughtless unvaccinated people, you are very, very unlikely to die. So should you say something? I think you should. Not so much out of concern for your own health, but concern for theirs they should get vaccinated. You're traveling through Central America right now. You're going places, doing things, meeting people. And you assumed that if they were inviting you into their home, that they, like you, were vaccinated. Perhaps that's not an assumption you should make in the future. You should ask people, oh, hey, yeah, I'd love to come hang out. I'm vaccinated. Are you vaccinated? That is a question that I, as a vaccinated person, ask people that I'm going to see all the time. Now I ask people if they are also boosted before I hang out with them or do anything with them or invite them into my house. All of us have a right to advocate for our own health and also urge other people to make 
healthy choices, particularly when the choices they're making might negatively impact our own health. You know, if you didn't have COVID and they exposed you to COVID and you had symptoms, some people who are vaccinated and boosted get COVID and they're kind of knocked on their ass for a couple days, don't wind up in the hospital, don't wind up in an urn, but still get pretty sick. That could have happened to you. That would have sucked. And it would have been very inconsiderate of them not to allow you to make an informed choice about spending so much time with them indoors if they were unvaccinated. But knowing what we know about all the unvaccinated people out there and how it by itself is evidence that someone is perhaps selfish and inconsiderate, you should be proactive about verifying the vaccinated status of anybody that you're going to hang out with, anybody who invites you into their home. Might feel ungracious. Hey, why don't you come over? We'll feed you. We'll hang out with you. We'll show you around. Might feel ungracious to say to that person, okay, yeah, I will come over on the condition that, but we're in a pandemic right now. People are still dying, including some vaccinated people. You have a right, you have a responsibility to yourself and others to ask those questions, ask that kind of question. I ask that kind of question again all the time. And then to make an informed choice about who you're going to spend your time with and who you aren't going to spend your time with. Hi, Dan. Four-year-old gay guy here, originally Brazilian, living in Italy for three years now. I recently moved, three years ago, I moved to, to Italy to pursue my own dreams and to get myself a new life. I got out from a gay marriage of 10 years, in which I was a top, and throughout my life, I don't know if because I am passable as, as a more masculine guy, I've always been most of the time a top and considered by other gay guys as a top. So I had very few opportunities to, well, to try and be a bottom. I've always fantasized that and I had some opportunities to be. And I always played with my ass, uh, with toys and all. And when I came to Europe, my plan as a single gay guy reaching my 40s, was basically, and it's kind of a joke, but that's an image I could make, to rub my asshole from Moscow to to Lisbon and leave a, leave a trail of pleasure and nice adventures and new things. But to make the long story short, right after I arrived, I met this incredible guy. I fell in love, like, totally unexpectedly. It altered my plans. It made me really stay in the little town I live right now. Beautiful town, by the way. And uh, we've been together and living together basically from the third month. And he's a bottom. And our sex is amazing. I'm super into him. Physically, he's everything I've always fantasized. Uh, he's the guy I wanted, basically, if I ever wanted a guy again. But he's at bottom, he's a total bottom, and there's no way of switching with him. I'm not interested in open relation, opening our relationship, I'm not interested in cheating on him, I'm not even interested in shaming him, even though we talked a lot, he even got into playing with toys with me, but it's really not his vibe. So I was wondering, I still want to, 
to play out my fantasies. I still want to play out my secret anatomy and uh, not secret, just another way of trying to call my. Hey, sorry you got cut off there. We do have a three-minute limit on recorded calls into 206-302-2064, the Savage Love hotline. But I, I can see where you were going with this question. What to do? What to do about this relationship? Yeah, I'm actually sitting here wondering what I'm going to do with the mental image of you rubbing your asshole from Moscow to Lisbon and leaving a trail like one of our dogs dragging its asshole across the carpet, only it's... Europe, you were planning on dragging your asshole across and experiencing bottoming, really exploring being on the receiving end of penetrative sex with other men after being with partners, only an exclusive top all these years and knowing you had a capacity for experiencing pleasure from penetration yourself because you have those toys that you play with. But then you met this guy and you fell in love. And so what do you do? Well, you say you don't want to cheat and that's good. You also say that you don't want to open the relationship. That's fine. You don't have to open the relationship. But what do you do? What do you do with these desires? Well, obviously you do nothing with or about them right now. Your partner obviously isn't one of those 100% exclusive bottoms who can't deal with their top partner, top boyfriend being penetrated anally. That doesn't ruin you for him. He's played with your butt and toys uh, and willingly, and it sounds like enthusiastically, not the same as getting fucked in the ass by 100 million times from Moscow to Lisbon, but not nothing either. And it should be enough in the context of this loving relationship and everything it gives you. It should be enough to, I, I guess I should just say that should be enough, period. What I want to say, though, is that should be enough to tide you over. That you don't want to open the relationship is fine. That's how you feel right now. That may not be how you always feel. There may come a time when you do want to open the relationship. There may come a time when you renegotiate the terms of your relationship. You may, like most male couples, wind up having a few three-ways together and becoming non-monogamous. Most gay male couples are non-monogamous. Most non-monogamous couples were monogamous at the start of the relationship, but kept talking. And opening up the relationship doesn't mean or have to mean or always mean that the relationship is falling apart or your sexual connection is withering. It can mean, if you look at it from a different angle, that your sexual connection and what's possible for you two as a couple has expanded. So my advice for you so that you can live happily in this for now, monogamous closed relationship is to live in hope. Don't grieve all the ass fucking that you didn't get to be on the receiving end of, that you didn't get to experience from Moscow to Lisbon. Instead, live in hope. Enjoy the relationship you're in now. And when you find yourself feeling a little bit sad, when you find yourself wondering what might have been all that hot dick from Russia to Portugal, and when you find yourself feeling maybe a little bit of regret, and there's always regret in a long-term committed relationship for all the things you didn't get to experience. Just tell yourself that being in a long-term committed relationship doesn't preclude the possibility of you experiencing those things with your partner at some point down the road, should your relationship evolve and change in that direction. And if it doesn't, it seems to me that you'll still be pretty happy with this man that you love. 
We're going to take a quick break from your calls to speak with Justine Angfante, a New York City-based intersectional sex educator with a master's in public health from Columbia University. Justine saw a problem out there and set out to fix it. The problem? Ghosting? Justine's solution? A good ghostwriter. Welcome to the show, Justine. So nice to have you. Thanks for having me, Dan. So tell me about your Instagram site uh, where you are the ghostwriter. It's called Goodbyes. Yeah, it started because of the many rejection text messages I have sent to people I have dated and my best friend praising me for how well written they were uh, as opposed to just ghosting them if it didn't work out. I didn't think it was that profound, but she said you should save these because one day it's going to help someone. And then the pandemic hit and I had a long document of a lot of different goodbyes that I had sent to people and figured maybe the platform to help people um, could be through Instagram by sharing these text messages. And maybe others will reach out to me to, you know, get help on writing their own. And that is exactly what happened. <laughs> so you are the ghostwriter now for, for people who need to send a message to someone and you've expanded out. It's not just about uh, ending romantic relationships. There's a lot of things on goodbyes where you're modeling, show someone where your boundaries are, tell them what you're really thinking and feeling and, and really laying it out there clearly and emphatically. I'd like to read a couple of them if I could, if that's all right with you, a couple of your posts. Please do. So uh, one of them reads, Hey, Luca, as much as I've enjoyed hooking up with you, I need to pull away. I'm looking for a long-term relationship with the intention of marriage. And while I do like our physical relationship, I don't see a romantic one forming. You've been very kind to me and our time together has been fun. I hope we can agree not to make it weird when we see each other in the building. It's like a short story. <laughs> it is, yeah. You, you don't give information you don't give background you don't like set up the scenario you write this little narrative and then it just it, it's so evocative like i read that and i'm like i i know exactly what's going on people saw each other they started <laughs> hooking up they kept hooking up the sex was good but there was no spark and now it, she wants to uh get in front of the inevitable weirdness so it's a little less weird and burns out more quickly which is what happens when you say you know let's not be too weird or let's not like feel so weird when we see each other it's still going to feel weird but the weirdness feeling will go away faster. Sure, sure. We also don't know if the the person sending this is a she, but um, That's true. I, I can't remember the actual follower here. But yes, Luca, you got a good buy. <laughs> you did. Luca did get a very good buy. So did you draft that for someone? Is there an actual yeah. Luca, an actual person in an elevator? Uh, yes. So all of these, except for the first 10, are um, from actual follower requests. They'll DM me and tell me the situation and say, friendly ghostwriter, I need help. How do I do this without hurting their feelings? Or how do I do this without feeling bad about it? Um, and so I will draft this up given the context that they've given me. But the first 10 are from my personal dating life. Oh my <laughs> but the names are all made up. Um, and uh, so that's that part stays enough. And you have the consent of the person who's writing to you to post like the outline with different names of their story. Yes. Uh, yes. I'd like to read a another one if I could. Caleb, over the course of our five weeks together, I've learned that sex is not something I can wait to have with a partner until marriage. You were clear about this early on. I did and still respect it, but I just can't adopt it for myself, even though we had such strong chemistry. I admire you for holding 
true to your values, and at the same time, I have to honor my needs. Although it's not the only way intimacy is experienced, sex is too important to me to be without it. Thank you for the privilege of your time, care, and attention. You are a solid guy, and I'm confident you will find someone who aligns more closely with your values. Take care of yourself. That's beautiful. <laughs> it's, that one's a little verbose, but I think what I was doing is matching the tone of my requester, who was so felt so bad because... Caleb is a genuinely good person. It just doesn't align with their value. And how do you let them down compassionately um, in a way that still affirms them while prioritizing your own boundary? It's not all uh, breaking up with romantic partners or Correct. fuck buddies. You also have this one, which I really liked. Hey, B, you've been doing my hair for a long time. I'm at a point in my hair journey where I want to try something different with a new stylist. I'm grateful for the wonderful conversations I've had with you over the years on that chair. Thank you for everything. Is breaking up with a hairdresser harder than breaking up with a romantic partner? You know, Dan, I'm glad you picked this one. This was the hardest one I've ever written. And the reason is because uh, I didn't include it in, in the context here, but the requester wanted to continue patroning that salon with a different hairdresser in that salon oh. and a different nail aesthetician in that salon. So would see B every time they're there. And so that's a different one because, you know, other goodbyes are like, I never have to see you again, except for the family ones, of course, and work ones. But this is a goodbye to a person that you will continually have to still make eyes with. And so I really struggled on how to affirm and, you know, do it compassionately without it being awkward. So like, what is the real reason? And, um, and that was tough because the real reason was B was just missing the mark on the hair cuts for a, for a while. What would the romantic equivalent of that be? Dating one conjoined twin and then having to tell that <laughs> twin you want to break up with them to date the other conjoined twin and they're still going to have to see you all the time? <laughs> That is one. I think a, a more common example is mutual friends. Mm. And that has come up a lot where I want to break up with this person, but we're friends with the same people. So we're always going to see each other. How do I do this? For some reason, that one seems easier. But um, but the B one was difficult because of having to still see B. But let's just because it's Valentine's Day next week, let's focus on the romantic relationships uh, sure. and, and the breaking up. Or declining to pursue things further. You know, you go on a couple of dates with somebody, you don't want to see them again. Why is it so hard to be direct about that? I think people struggle with being direct because they feel bad about saying no to someone. They are afraid they're gonna, their feelings are going to get hurt. Uh, they don't want to make someone feel sad about themselves from this rejection. And many times they'll just avoid doing it altogether by ghosting. Um, or making up a lie to themselves or to the other person by going on another date when you actually didn't want to be there to begin with. And then things just get repressed and may blow up into something bigger. So I think this um, priority of other someone else's well-being over your own tends to be a very common feeling for a lot of people, preventing them from wanting to be assertive. I, I hear from a lot of people who want to tell someone something that person might not want to hear, but without that person noticing they've been told that thing they don't want to hear without, you know, how do I say this to, you know, the person I want to stop dating or the person I am dating and want to stay with without them getting sad or getting mad or both. And that's not 
always possible. And it can be very in, in, inhibiting. And let's acknowledge that some people have a very legitimate fear of violence uh, or some other form of retaliation from someone that they have to reject. Also something to factor in. But in the absence of that kind of fear, why is it so hard? When Or why do people think that there's a way to share something with someone they don't want to hear without making them sad or mad or both? You know, I think because they've, they've been hurt before or they have themselves have been the recipient of a rejection or a boundary being set and they didn't feel good about it. And I think that's where we really mess up socially is that we have not normalized rejection. We see it as a complete failure on it, the entire human being when it's really just understanding that one role in someone else's life just doesn't align Mm -hmm. with, you know, who you are. But we really take it so personally that because we know what it feels like to be rejected, we don't want to be the rejector. Um, and so I think that's where people struggle. And we really need to start, you know, not taking it so personally and seeing that you can compassionately let someone know that it's just not a fit. And that's okay. It's misplaced empathy. And also, I think, a misunderstanding, like you say, uh, about rejection. I'm always encouraging people to try to feel differently about rejection, be better about receiving it, uh, but also to see it for what it is. It's really kind of a favor someone's doing you because Agreed. the sooner someone who knows that you're not the person or a person they want to be with ends it, the sooner you can move on to find someone who does want to be with you, the less time you'll waste, the less of an investment you'll make in you know a failing firm if you work on a relationship as kind of a, a, you know, a company. And, you know, it sucks to be rejected. I've been rejected. I'm sure you've been rejected. You've had to reject other people. I've had to reject people. It sucks to be on either end of it. Sure. But after I got into a, you know, a, a good relationship, one that made me happy, I realized that I wouldn't be in that relationship if the previous person I'd been dating hadn't rejected me. Absolutely. They did I mean me a favor. Yeah, there's so much growth behind rejection. And I don't think people look at it through an optimist lens. They see it as a failure that they can't be, you know, move forward from. And I, I really disagree with that. And in the same way that, you know, as a sex educator, I've taught consent education for many years. And it's the same thing. It's not even going to be that fun or pleasurable if both parties are not fully engaged and into it. Oh so why God, are we yeah. settling all the time to go on a third date when it should have ended after the first date? Well, because I feel bad. I don't want to hurt their feelings. I feel obligated or guilty if I don't. Um, and for others, as you'd mentioned about the sexual violence component, they feel like there is really recourse if they were to reject someone. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, when people ask, when is it okay to ghost? And I say it's okay to ghost if you feel that you are, uh, you know, imminently physically endangered um, if you were to reconnect with that person to assertively set a boundary. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, when is it okay to tell someone a lie? When someone has made it clear to you that telling them the truth is dangerous. Right. You absolutely can tell them a lie. That applies to romantic relationships. I tell that to, you know, queer teenagers who aren't out to their parents mm -hmm. and whose parents are suspect they might be queer and they're having to lie to their parents' face and they feel bad about it. But their parents have already made it clear that if they tell the truth, if they come out, that they will suffer, that there will be consequences, right. sometimes right. dire. A lot of queer kids end up homeless. Mm -hmm. And so you're not the bad guy in that moment if you lie to your parents' face. You're not doing something bad if you lie to you know, someone you've been dating uh, to get away from them because it's not safe to tell that person the truth. Yes, safety first. You know, that thing that people say that, that you just mentioned where, you know, I went on that third date, I went on that fourth date because I didn't want to hurt their feelings. I didn't want to hurt them. 
it seems to me that those people are kind of outsourcing the doing of the hurt to the person that they're continuing to go on dates with that they do not want to be with. It's like, I don't want to hurt you. I want you to hurt yourself. I want you to put the pieces together. Mm. I want you to figure it out and then, you know, end it with me, refuse to keep seeing me. And it's really just saying to that person, like, I'm going to stand here holding a knife, but I need you to run into it. Oh, yeah. I think that's definitely one very uh, sad way of looking at it. You're right. Kind of graphic. Let's, Let's talk about Valentine's Day, which is coming right up. Uh, Let's. everything on goodbyes and I, I really love goodbyes and you've got almost 10,000 followers now. And I think you're going to get so many more, uh, mm-hmm. over time. Cause this is the kind of direct talk that people need modeled for them. Um, but Valentine's day is coming up and there does seem to be a kind of understanding that it's not okay to break up with somebody, even if that's the truth you need to tell on Valentine's Day. It's not okay to break up with somebody right before Valentine's Day. It's not okay to break up with somebody right after Valentine's Day. (laughs) So what should someone do who's in a relationship that they know they want to end as Valentine's Day hurdles towards us? I hate that our decisions to listen to what our body is telling us are being uh, dictated by capitalist Hallmark holidays. (laughs) If your body is telling you it is not safe or fulfilling or affirming anymore to be in a specific relationship, um, or it is the right one too, you don't need to wait until Valentine's Day. You don't need to wait until wedding night. You don't have to wait until prom night. We have put so much pressure on these holidays that are completely manufactured to just make more money for various industries that we don't listen and we temper our own um, you know, gut instincts of what makes us feel happy. Uh, I completely agree with you. Arbitrary, manufactured, big chocolate, big flower, big candy, <laughs> big card. But somebody who dumps you on Valentine's Day, you will add that the long list of things that you complain bitterly <laughs> about to your friends. They ruined Valentine's Day for you. Right. They dumped you on Valentine's It's arbitrary and manufactured a bullshit thing as it might be. You really can't dump somebody on Valentine's Day. <laughs> I hear you. I mean, if you are in, intentional about waiting until February 14th to drop news that you already have now, um, then yeah, I think that's malicious. But I think if, you know, if it just so happens that you're feeling, you know, that discomfort already, why are you waiting until a specific day? That just sounds rude, right? And I think because of the weight and the value that certain days of the calendar year hold, I I think you should just really be listening to your gut no matter what day that is. If something egregious happens to you on February 14th, going into a date you were actually looking for, but they violated your boundaries on that day. Oh yeah, you don't have to hold back. Right, you don't have to wait. It just so happened it was on Valentine's Day. And that person also, you know, tainted the holiday by, you know, not respecting someone's boundary that day. Um, but I just don't want to have this prescription where listen to your body, but, you know, make sure it's catered around certain holidays. It does seem to me, though, that like there are blackout dates. You can't break up somebody <laughs> on their birthday. You can't break up somebody on Valentine's Day. You can't break up somebody on Christmas Day. Sure. Right. And sure. I, maybe there's a couple of blackout days before Valentine's Day. Like if you haven't done <laughs> it by the 13th, you just have to suck it up till the 15th. 
I understand that. I mean, and outside of even dates, it's like, oh, well, they already lost their job or, you know, they're, right. they know their parents are sick. I'm not, I can't, I mean, I get that, right? But to also make sure that you are taking care of yourself because you're also living a life that has many challenges and you can't always be catering to another person's schedule or the seasons of the year. But you don't want to be an asshole either. Like sometimes- Absolutely. You know, when we talk about, you know, hypothetical relationships are going to end, we we go to like where there's, you know, emotional abuse or violence or it's a high conflict or just making you miserable and your body's telling you to run. And sometimes it's just this is someone you still like and you still care about and you want to love them out of the relationship. Right. You want to be as kind and compassionate and as understanding as possible, because even if it's over for you and they're going to be upset, you don't want to be needlessly, gratuitously, avoidably cruel. And that's, you know, somebody who's a complete asshole to you on Valentine's Day, you don't have to take the chocolates and then go home and suck that guy's dick. You do Mm -hmm. not, right? But someone that you like have lived with for a couple years and you do love and you want the best for them and it's just this relationship isn't the best for you or them, I think that you can love them for another week. I think so too. I think again, if if it, if there's no imminent threat to your physical safety, then yeah, think of you know the better time to share this. And I think like it's modeled in my text messages, especially the ones around family. You usually can't get rid of family members. You're going to see them the next holiday, the mm. next trip, the next visit. So you have to couch it in a level of care and love and not just I'm done with you mother-in-law but it's also like okay here's what my boundary is so when I see you next week at the christening this is what I'm hoping you know you'd be amenable to um and so and maybe you don't text that on her birthday or on mother's day right you Mm -hmm. wait but because there's nothing that's imminently threatening your safety a lot of your posts are about you know you were dating as you said what inspired goodbyes you know you were went on a couple of dates with somebody you weren't feeling it rather than just disappearing or not answering their text messages uh or deflecting which i think is you know something women are socialized to do that then men don't understand like you want to hang out again yeah i'd love to sometime i'm busy this week that means never again mm-hmm. right usually mm-hmm. but you, you 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 sent these messages where you were just very clear like i wasn't feeling it i wish you well nice to meet you Uh, And your friend said, these are great. You should create a site. You should put these out there for the world. The thing that people really worry about in sending these messages is the reaction they're going to get. And so all these times you've sent clear, uh, kindly and compassionately worded, uh, unambiguous messages to someone that you weren't interested in seeing them again, have you gotten bad reactions? Absolutely, I have. And because I have a wonderful therapist, I've been reminded that their reactions and their emotions uh, and how they manage it is not my responsibility. If I'm protecting myself by doing something that I know that I did kindly, compassionately, and still fairly, then it's not my responsibility. So what's the percentage you think, the breakdown, good to bad Uh, reactions? Yeah, I think honestly, I would say 75% of the straight cis men that I have sent these to have responded quite well. I've gotten things like, wow, um, thanks for not ghosting me and just being really honest. It's a bummer because I really liked you, but thank you for letting me know. Good luck to you. So some type of tenor in that has been very common. Uh, I I would like to challenge everyone out there listening to our conversation not to be uh, a ghosting hypocrite or a ghostocrit. I think we need to come up (laughs) with a word for this, where you complain about being ghosted and then turn around and ghost yourself. I think that's really common. Yes, totally is. 
So you're a sex educator, master's public health, Columbia University. So you don't just do this. You're not just out there ghostwriting the messages people should be sending to romantic partners or family members that they need to be clear with about where they're at. Tell me about your other work. Well, my my other work is uh, as an educator. So I also have a master's in education and having that public health degree with the education degree has really allowed me to teach about health topics in a way that I think most people aren't used to receiving. So this account has been one form of, you know, my pedagogy that's really reached a lot of people in ways that are very clear um, and affirming for them. And so I really like this as a teaching tool because I'm giving them an example, a model with these templates. Um, and so really modeling consent education by actually helping them word by word communicate what they are comfortable with, what they are not comfortable with has been a really um, magical experience for me as someone in sex ed for more than, you know, a decade. But now being able to really hold somebody's hand who's on the ground trying to communicate with the other person that. Uh, they don't want to continue something with or want to start something with. So it's been a really cool different exercise in my career to uh, teach in this way and through social media. And it's been received fairly well in the one year it's been around. Use your words. That's advice I give constantly. Something mm -hmm. I often hear from my own romantic partners uh, is, you know, those position heal yourself moments where someone looks at me and says, why don't you use your words? Right. Where I, I, like they accuse me of not following my own advice. Have you ever had a position heal yourself moment where someone was like, come on, you need to use your words. You need to communicate. You're not communicating right now. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm a little above average on communication skills. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flex on that right now. But I will say my, my therapist has put me in, in, you know, um, in check by saying, okay, so I see what's happening with your body language right now. What word is that? So she does that for me on occasion. <laughs> Justine Ang Fonte, a New York City-based intersectional sex educator with a master's in public health from Columbia University. She saw a problem, ghosting. She came up with the solution, The Ghost Writer. Go check out her really inspiring Instagram account. Have you heard from people who've just copy and pasted some of these messages and oh, yeah. had it, it, it and worked for them? And then they'll screenshot it. They'll screenshot it and send it to me and said, it worked. Thank you so much, friendly ghostwriter. And it's just so heartwarming. So for people who want to find good buys, what's, the, what's your Instagram handle? It's a little complicated. <laughs> the handle is at underscore good period buys underscore. And then you can also learn more about me and my career on justinefonte.com. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. It was great talking with you. Honored to be here, Dan. Hey, Dan. This is a caller coming at you from the Pacific Northwest. I'm 22 and I'm a cisgendered lesbian woman. Uh, asking you today about a situation I'm having with this woman. We started seeing each other. We've known about each other for a while, but we just started getting intimate. And it came at a time, unfortunately, where she was also seeing somebody else. But she made it clear that there was no commitment there. It was just casual. And as we started hanging out further and more, we started liking each other more. And it got to the point where she told me that she had feelings for me, and I reciprocated those. And then almost immediately, she took a step back and told me that she was in too deep with the other person and that she didn't think that us continuing what we were doing would be a good idea. 
So I let her have her space and her time. But, you know, even so, we continued to, like, text and talk and stuff like that. To the point where, like, we just wanted to be friends, quote-unquote. But whenever we hang out to be friends, it doesn't really go that way. We have sex. Good sex. Great sex, if you will. As we talk about, like, things, because we're very open and honest with each other, I've asked about, like, what's the holdup? What's the situation? And she just says that, you know, the other situation hasn't run its course yet. And that she just doesn't think that it's the right timing. So I guess my question is, what does that mean? One. And two, if we're continuing to have fun with each other and, you know, both of us are initiating things on both sides, should I just keep doing what I'm doing or step back or or what because i really like this girl so when this woman tells you that things haven't run their course things with this other woman the other situation she calls it hasn't run its course yet what does that mean that means you're the side piece that means you're her second priority possibly you know if she's only seeing two women right now her lowest priority should you keep doing what you're doing? Should you keep texting with her, hanging out with her, being friends with benefits, having sex with her? Well, it depends. It depends on how that makes you feel. It depends on what you're willing to settle for and what you're willing to give. If what you want is to be her girlfriend, if what you want is for her to choose you, well, you can call the question. You can put her in a position where she's going to have to make a choice. If she wants to continue to see this other woman, if that woman is her first priority, maybe she should just go off and see that other woman and allow that situation to run its course. The passive language here is kind of not appalling, just kind of revealing about how cold and calculated perhaps, uh, you know, you're telling me what she said to you and maybe you're summarizing it this way, but it just seems a little dispassionate. It seems a little almost dehumanizing to call someone that you're seeing a situation, which is probably what she calls you too, if that's the term she's using. Anyway, what are you willing to settle for? If you want to see her, if you want her to pick you, you might have to put her in a position where she has to pick. Who knows? Maybe they're entangled at an emotional level. They've been seeing each other for longer. Extricating herself from that relationship is a big lift and she's nervous about it. Maybe they share a lot of friends in common and there's a lot she stands to lose in the short run if she were to choose you. But maybe she prefers you. Maybe she would like to be with you. Well, right now she gets to have this other woman on whatever their terms are and you on her terms exclusively. And I don't think you would be calling me if you were happy about that situation, I, that situation, now here I am using that, the S word situation. I don't think you would be calling me if you were happy with things as they are now. You're calling me because you're dissatisfied, that you're settling for less than you're content to settle for. You're happy to be her fuck buddy, happy to be her friend with benefits, happy to even be her piece on the side and her secret. You wouldn't be calling. So you're not happy. And if you're not happy, you need to end this. You need to say to her, look, obviously we can't just be friends. There's too much sexual tension, sexual attraction. When we hang out, we fuck. So 
when you're ready to date and fuck me openly, and maybe that means she still has her other girlfriend, but you're not the dirty little secret anymore. Maybe that's something that you wouldn't feel like you were settling for, but an arrangement, a situation that would make you happy. Okay, well then you can revisit it. Or if she's single, if she gets out of this relationship and perhaps you withdrawing your pussy might give her some incentive to shit or get off the pot here or shit or get off your face and pick you if that's what you want. And I think that's what you want. I think that's why you called. All right, before we get to your comments, let's read some of your tweets. CA Bridge tweets, listening to the Savage Lovecast as fake Dan Savage tells another caller they're getting engaged far too young. And yes, statistically speaking, he's right. But every time he says that, I look at the woman I started dating in high school 40 years ago and laugh. We just like blowing the curve. Uh, thank you for listening, CA, and thank you for understanding the nuances here and not complaining about high school sweethearts who are still together 40 years later erasure. You are an outlier, also an inspiration. Love to you and the missus. Polygeek MI tweets, for those in sexless but great companionate marriages, I've come up with a term for the arrangement. We can say we have LLC marriages, limited layability companionships. I think it captures the dedicated partnership with the lack of physical intimacy. And I agree, Polygeek am I, and I love puns, always keep the puns coming, can't get enough. And finally, Mistress W tweets, if you were a Savage Lovecast Magnum subscriber, you too could be watching fake Dan Savage discuss feminist porn with two smart and talented women on Zoom while you eat your lunch, hashtag sack lunch. Last week's Sack Lunch, our monthly hangout for Magnum subscribers, was our first with guests, the great Erica Lust and Avril Louise Clark from the PornConversation.org. And it went so well that we are definitely going to do it again. All right, thank you to everyone who posted to social media about the Lovecast this week, to Instagram, to Twitter, to TikTok and everywhere else. We really appreciate it. Helps spread the word about the Lovecast. And if you want me to read your tweet about something you heard on the Lovecast this week, be sure to include the hashtag Savage Lovecast and I will read your tweet possibly on next week's Savage Lovecast. All right, now listener response calls. In response to the caller in episode 797 dealing with the virgin girlfriend, I really appreciated how generous you guys were to her. I don't really feel that generous towards her. I'm a gay guy who started out sleeping with women, and I was all in from the very beginning. I did all the things that I thought I knew how to do, because that's what you do when you jump in bed with somebody. You're signing a contract that you're going to do everything you can to make them feel good, right? So I don't think she has really much of an excuse. And by the way, she ain't a virgin, right? I mean, come on, if you're getting off, quote-unquote, with another person... You ain't a virgin. So I don't know what her hang up is about that, but I think this guy should just dump her and move on. Hi, Dan. I have a comment for the woman whose first sexual encounter with that guy was good and then the second one wasn't. Um, I don't know if she was trying to exaggerate for effect, but she said that when he said the offensive thing that he said, that his cum was still running out of her. Why didn't you use a condom with this guy? This is the second time... You're having sex with him. Why are you having condomless sex with him? I mean, if you're on birth control, you still could get pregnant. There is a chance. And even if both of you are on prep, um, there's so many other STIs you could get. Um, it just seems irresponsible to me. Just, I feel like people should stop doing things like this. Just condoms, people. This is a message for the caller in episode 797 who has never had an orgasm from oral sex. 
girl, you just described me. I'm 35 years old. I'm with my now husband for about 10 years, and I had many sexual partners before that. Never had an orgasm from oral sex. I can come super easy from PIV, which I have always considered kind of a superpower, but my husband was always disappointed that he can never get me off that way. It never bothered me for him to go down on me, but I never wanted him to spend much time down there. I really couldn't wrap my mind around why anybody would want to put their face down there, and I think I was just really caught up in my head. Anyway, recently I started reading a lot of erotic fiction, and the most recent book I read was written from a man's point of view, and it just described his need to be eating a woman's pussy so well, something just clicked in my brain. I can't even tell you what, but recently my husband was going down on me, and normally it would have just ended there, and I would have wanted to jump on his dick instead, but instead I jumped on his face, and we started 69ing of all things, and I had my very first orgasm from oral sex. I couldn't believe it. I was in shock. He was in shock. And we did it again the same night. I think our pussies do just work a certain way and we should accept that. But also I firmly believe when it comes to women's orgasms, so much of it is in our heads. So if you can do some soul searching, maybe read some erotic fiction, try to figure out what your hangup is, there might be some hope for you. Good luck, girl. And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for next week's show or a comment about something I said on this week's show? The best way to get us your questions and your comments is to use the Voice Memo app on your phone to record the question or your comment and then email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. You can also call us at 206-302-2064. We prefer those voice memos, better sound quality, but we love your calls, your questions, your comments, however you get them to us. Hump 2022 has officially arrived in Seattle this week. I will be hosting... The opening of the festival at On the Boards, Thursday, February 10th through Monday, Valentine's Day. We'll be vaxxed and we'll be masked and tickets are going fast. So grab yours today if you are in Seattle or can get to Seattle this weekend before they're all gone. But this is just the beginning of Hump 2022, our new porn festival. So many great new films will be screening in Portland, San Francisco and Olympia, Washington over the coming weeks. Then we're hitting the road and taking Hump out to over 20 cities throughout the rest of the year. Visit humpfilmfest.com to see all the stops and to get your tickets today when Hump comes to you. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Check out Justine Ang Fonte on Instagram. She's at Instagram at I'm Justine AF. And be sure to check out her terrific goodbyes, that's good B-Y-E-S, Instagram account at underscore good dot B-Y-E-S underscore. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at-risk youth and Nancy. We'll all be back at you next week with an installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading.